You are listening to a sermon from River Corner Church. To learn more about River Corner Church, visit our website at rivercornerchurch.com. This next month in May, we are going to start a new Sunday morning series called Confidence. Confidence is rooted in a Greek word called el peso, or el peace, which means a confident hope. And it's a word that Peter uses five times times as he writes to his disciples and followers who have been scattered throughout the region in poverty and in a spiritual struggle he uses this word confidence or el peace to show what living confidently in Christ looks like and so we're going to start that next week and go throughout May with that series however this morning we are going to bring our series in the shadow of the cross to a closure. Since the first week in April, we have been looking at John's narrative, the Gospel of John's take on the stories around Jesus' life and ministry as it leads up to the cross. We have followed the resurrection story starting in John 10, where we first get a glimpse of where Jesus is headed. We begin to see the shadow of the cross on his actions already. And then last week, we saw a climax of John's narrative where Jesus is killed but then resurrected. It brings us, we saw last week, this promise of eternal life on the other side of the grave where we are transformed, our bodies will be transformed eternally, but it also gives us this hope or this transformative hope that can be experienced on this side of the grave. We're going to talk a little bit more about that this morning. A hope for here and now. The resurrection story brings us hope for today that in the situations that overwhelm us with grief and with mourning, Jesus, though he's not always recognizable, is with us. He is at work at creating new things. So this morning, as we bring our series in the shadow of the cross to a close, we're now standing on the other side of the cross, on the other side of the shadow, as we proclaim and tell the stories of death and resurrection. Right after telling his stories of the death and resurrection of Jesus, John writes this in John 20, 30 through 31. And this is our main passage for the day. John 20, 30 through 31. John writes, Jesus performed many other miracles that his disciples saw. Those miracles are not written in this book, but those miracles have been written so that you will believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and so that you will have life by believing in him. I love this statement from John. Jesus performed even more miracles than what we had time to write. Whenever I encounter this passage, and even when I talk about it at the mission, the first thing people always ask is this. What other crazy things did he do? Right? There's this sense that we get kind of hung up on that first part of the sentence. Jesus performed many other miracles that his disciples So, 
I don't think John's saying that they've left out anything that isn't like what's already in there. Much of what has been left out or not recorded are the, much as the same of what we already seen exemplified in the life and the ministry of Jesus. I don't think they left out anything crazier than uh, Jesus bringing people back from the dead, Jesus coming back from the dead himself, right? Jesus healing people. I mean, these are the big stories, and they recorded them so that we can know them. I don't think they left out anything that was more shocking or crazy than that which was already in the scriptures. I think they needed to make the most of the stories. Paper at this time was expensive. I think they recorded their stories that carried the greatest hopes and promises. They recorded the stories that had the most social and political and spiritual meanings. And what, what they left out was much of the same that we already see at work in the, in the life and ministry of Jesus. This bold statement, though, about other miracles that we saw him do even other things has a second part to it that that is even more important than that. These miracles, John writes, that have been captured for all of humanity, for all of time, that have been recorded, are recorded with a purpose. The purpose of recording those miracles and the life and the death and the ministry of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, is so that we can too, we can also be witnesses of who Jesus is and what he did. John shows that the disciples, when they finally see Jesus come back from the dead, make this proclamation. We have seen the Lord. John writes, we have seen the Lord. And and in that proclamation, that's the point of John's gospel. That It's our hope that from reading his stories, that he will ask us to also proclaim, have you seen the Lord? We have seen the Lord is what he hopes that because we've read his narrative, we too can say. John writes these stories so we can believe in Jesus and claim and believe in who he claimed to be, knowing that he was the Messiah and the Son of God. We believe, by the way, by accepting these stories and these evidences as truth in our hearts, in our minds. We believe that responding to the stories of Jesus uh, looks like accepting Jesus in our hearts, in our lives, and then prioritizing our lives around them. We respond to understanding why Jesus was referred to as the way by the early church, right? They called him the way because they saw him as a way to live, that we are to mirror his life and ministry. The amount of faith and intimacy we have with Jesus is developed and defined by the amount of obedience we have to the message of Jesus. Let me say that again. The amount of faith and intimacy that we find with Jesus is defined by how obedient we are to the ways of Jesus. And I think the important part of this bold statement from John, that there's these more miracles, but we've written these so that you believe this bold statement is what John wants us to get from his whole narrative. 
But why? Why does he care so much that we believe? Well, because early on in John's narrative, right, in one of the most famous passages that people who haven't even grown up in the church can say, we see that John records Jesus saying this, God so loved the world in this way, right? This is John 3, 16 to 17. God so loved the world in this way that he gave his only son so that everyone who believes in him will not die, but will have eternal life. God sent his son into the world, not to condemn the world, but to save the world. John was there and listening when Jesus spoke to those around him and said, God has sent me. And if you believe in me, you will have eternal life. Now, here, after the resurrection, on the other side of the cross, standing in the shadow of the resurrection now, John has come to know the fact of who Jesus is. He knows what he meant now. John knows that not only did Jesus do what God only could do, but John is now walking around saying, now I'm a believer, right? In, in 1967, the monkeys had this song and said, now I'm a believer, right? I can't sing, so you don't want me to sing any more than that. I think the full song was, and then I saw her face, and now I'm a believer. But John is standing on the other side of the cross, and he's saying this, I have seen Jesus' resurrection, and now I am a believer. John knows how good news this is, and he wants others to get to know this good news, to believe in the resurrection of Jesus. John desires the best for humanity, the best that is discovered only when we believe in Jesus. He wants creation to be reconciled to its God. He wants us who struggle with a sense of belonging and love to feel like we belong and that we have God's love. He wants us who struggle with mortality to realize that we can live forever. In Jesus' statement, Jesus doesn't just offer eternal life. It says God sent his son into the world, not to condemn it, right? Not Not to bring shame onto it, not to hold it to a certain standard, but to save the world. That save the world that Jesus promises, that John heard him promise, has to do with this side of the grave. It's not just about eternity, but the word for save there means that that there will be healing. There will be restoration. That purpose will be restored. That is what is caught up in that word. In fact, it can mean to be made whole. Or the idea in the Greek implies that the pot has been broken and somebody was able to come and piece and glue it back together. That kind of idea of broken pieces being restored is what Jesus means when he says, but to save the world. He's come back to put a transformation on this side of the grave as well. So in this statement that we're looking at from John, that he tells after the resurrection of Jesus, we see John's concerned with more than just our eternal forever state. But he also wants us to understand the importance of the resurrection in this. And pay attention to after the and in the statement we read. These miracles have been written so that you will believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and, note this, that you may have life by believing in him. Pay attention to that part that follows the and. 
and so that you will have life by believing in him. John says that he writes about these miracles so that you may believe in Jesus. These are eyewitness accounts, right? John is, is kind of like in a court system here. He, in the same way that an eyewitness report can be read in court as evidence and needs to be trusted by the jury, John is writing his eyewitness account as evidence so that we may trust and have the evidence. But that's not all. He also wants us to say, you can know this is true because you've experienced that life now. You know that all will be made right for eternity because that starts now. In Jesus' statement, Jesus offered eternal life and healing now. John, in his statement, says the same thing. So that you will have life by believing in him. John uses the word for life there, zeal. And I think that why John uses that word is because he heard that word come from the mouth of Jesus. Jesus says earlier in his gospel, I have come so that they may have life and they may have it in the full. John writes that you may have life by believing in him. Jesus said, I have come so that they may have life and have it to the full. There's only one difference between those. Jesus is speaking to a crowd. He's speaking about an opportunity. And John is speaking from a personalized state. He changes the so they may have life to so you may with this expectation that I've already experienced it. I'm witnessing to it. It can be experienced by you too. John becomes an evangelist, and that's actually a nickname for John. Right? He becomes somebody who begins to share passionately about what they know to be true. John personalizes this from they to you or us. And he drives his sermon home like a pastor, right? Making the point that that life is available to you here and now if you believe. It will transform you now and forever because he knows it's transformed him. Michael got a gift for his birthday. He was very happy about this gift. The gift, he was told by a friend, was something he could use in the future. It would be beneficial to him in the future. And so Michael decided he was never going to open the gift. He held on to it, excited, passionate about it, that someday that gift would save him from some future problem. He kept a gift where he could see it. He was grateful for it. Sometimes he even walked by it and he sang songs about how glad he was for it. He often talked to others about how much he loved the person that gave him that gift. It changed his viewpoint on the future because he knew that someday that gift would have purpose. However, the reality was, despite having that gift, Mike was struggling in life. He was having a hard time paying his rent and his bills. He sold things he owned, and he tried to make ends meet. And friends would come by and say, Mike, you probably should open that box. It might serve you now. Or, Mike, if you open that box, it might be something valuable. You can sell it. You can pay your rent. But Mike refused. He said, it's not the future yet. And, and eventually, Michael becomes homeless, and he loses everything, everything that 
he had except that gift. And he held on to it as he sat on a street corner. And eventually stress gave way to a stroke and he died never opening that gift. That gift from his friend years before who knew he was struggling, knew that a gift would serve him in the future, gave him a house completely paid for, completely furnished that would help him. He had meant that the gift would serve him for the future, but Michael always saw the future as something coming, and he got bitter along the way, never fully realizing what he had in his grasp. It's not a real story. It's a parable, but it makes the point. Jesus didn't give us a gift just for the future. He gave us gifts that will transform our future based on the life, the zeo that we experience now. In many ways, this statement from John, that you may believe and receive life, feels like a closure to John's gospel. In fact, there's two stories that follow this um, after this passage, but they don't feel like they belong there because this feels like the end of John's gospel. And some scholars say, well, maybe those two stories were added by by John's disciples. But I think John wants us to realize something. This is a pivotal point. The death and resurrection of Jesus happened here. I'm telling you, I was a witness. I want you to receive it. And the two stories that follow are stories about the power of the Holy Spirit, about what life looks like now on the other side of the resurrection. William Barclay, about this statement that we are looking at, though, says this, There is no passage in the gospel which better sums up the aim of the writers of the gospel than this passage does. And I agree, the gift is available forevermore. That's the point of the gospels. In fact, if you would look at John 10, let me grab my Bible, and we're not going to read anything, but I want you to realize that the, the reality is that in John's gospel, he spends more than half of his narrative talking about the death and the resurrection of Jesus. John only writes nine chapters about Jesus' life and ministry, but from there to the end of his book, he writes the most of his gospel based on the death and the resurrection of Jesus, the hope that can be received in it. John's bold statement Jesus performed many other miracles that his disciples saw. The miracles are not written in this book, but these miracles, the ones that have been written, so that you can believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and so that you will have life believing in him. It's this passage that reminds us how to read the Scriptures. First, the Scriptures are not meant to be an exhaustive read of who Jesus was, but an insight in what it means to live and love like Jesus. Or to use a line that I quoted from Menno Simons earlier, he said, the communion table must never become the thing. It must always point to Jesus. The same thing here. The scriptures are not to be read and scoured as an exhaustive report, but they must drive us to want to have our own encounters with Jesus. In the same way, the scriptures are not to be read as a biography, right? In the same way, we might pick up a book of Mark Twain. They're not meant to be just something we read about a historical figure. But they are to point 
to an illustration of Jesus who we can touch and see. The scripture is not just meant to be a promise in history and a promise for the future, but they are to be something we read so they can transform our present day reality. When we get to see the promises Jesus makes to others, we get to see what he makes to us. And the scriptures are not just stories that we read about others' pursuit of God, but they, are, they encourage us to seek similar encounters with God for ourselves. Again, scholar William Barclay writes, when we approach the Gospels as history and biography, we approach them in the wrong spirit altogether. We must read them not primarily as historians seeking historical information, but as men and women seeking God. For John, the stories of Jesus' death, his life, his resurrection have come to an end. And what remain are testimonies of the Holy Spirit. He's saying, my story is complete, but through the Holy Spirit, your stories are just beginning. There are chapters yet to be written. There are stories in which we get to celebrate. When Jesus says that he will come back to life and he will give life and life abundant, or uh, I think the King James says in abundance, right? This idea that it overflows. He's using language that our present day will experience more meaning, more purpose, more joy, and eternal life. The minute we accept Jesus in our hearts, we take our eyes off the future and our eyes off our problems, and we begin to expect God to move in the present. The word for abundance, by the way, that Jesus uses, that you may have life in abundance, or that you may have life means this, to be more than you can comprehend, a life that's beyond measure, more than you can understand or less you experience. Paul, an early follower of Jesus in 1 Corinthians 2, 9 through 10, says it in this way, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no mind has imagined the things that God has prepared for those that love him. God has revealed those things to us in his spirit, right? Or less you experience through the spirit, you don't know how Jesus transforms in the present. He tells the church in Ephesus, by this power, the power of the resurrection of the Holy Spirit, he can do more, infinity, infinitely more, than we can ask or imagine. All of Jesus' followers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, they testify that we can have moments and minutes that are more meaningful now in our present day life than we did before we committed to Jesus. Now, sometimes this passage that John, I believe, is referencing this statement where Jesus says, you can have life in abundance, gets translated to say, it means you get a life of prosperity, that you get a life of ease. And I don't think that's the purpose. One author writes, the Bible tells us that wealth, prestige, position, and power in this world are not God's priorities for us. And if that's true, then the meaning of this passage, that you may have life or that you may have life in its abundance, can't mean riches. It can't mean wealth and prestige. Rather, this promise of life in the present, I believe that we are reminded of in the resurrection story, assures us that we can have joy that goes beyond understanding, 
that we don't need to worry about what we eat or wear, that it can be on earth as it is in heaven. It's why Jesus asks us to pray that, that we can go free, just like the woman caught in adultery did, that we can go free and in forgiveness now for the things that we do, right? We don't get to carry shame on us. We have the promise in the now that we can be reconciled in relationship with God and find the purpose that God's created us for. There's a Quaker by the name of Parker Palmer. He says that he believes that we are born with our true identity. Who God wanted you to be is in you at birth. And you spend the first half of your life convincing yourself that's not who it is, and you take on multiple identities and try to figure out who you are, only to reach a point in your life that realizes you're going to spend the rest of your life taking off those things you've put on yourself to figure out who God's always wanted you to be in the first place. The same way we also get the miraculous gift of the Holy Spirit that transforms our reality around us, that we can be confident in all situations, in whatever situation we find ourselves, that we can grow, as the scriptures say, in grace and knowledge of Jesus here and what he desires for the world. That we can grow, the transformation we experience on this side of the grave is that we can grow in the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The resurrection story reminds us this. The story now continues. If you believe we are on the other side of the cross, on the flip side, uh, and there's a shadow that now casts a victorious way forward. John wants us to experience a life in the present that says this, that believes what this verse means, that accepts Jesus' promise. Very truly, I tell you, Whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. When Jesus says, I've come so that they may have life and have it to the fullest. When John says, I've written these miracles so that you can experience life. I believe this is that life he's speaking about. A life that is transformed in a now because of the way that we walk with the Holy Spirit. That if we believe in the works that Jesus has done we will stand in his place and continue to write the chapters, that we will continue to transform the reality around us. My takeaway from this is that we can go as a church in pursuit of that sort of life that Jesus promised and John wants for us.